Hey everyone, before we get to today's episode, I wanted to share what I think is a pretty exciting announcement. We are opening up our rival AMP community. So some of you listening have been part of AMP from the beginning of the company. It has been our small, very small friends and family community around Rival where we post updates, ask for feedback, kind of share what's going on in the business. But actually we think there's a lot more potential as we've grown, as our community has grown, as we've met more of you to actually build and scale a proper community within Rival Amp. So what Rival Amp is going to be is it's going to be a community for challenger marketers on WhatsApp. We're going to share ideas and observations from the challenger marketing world that we see and ask everyone to contribute to that. Share about challenger brands, marketing news, industry events, job opportunities, ask for feedback and input, use each other as a sounding board. We think it's going to be really great. So if you are interested in joining and are not already a member, please either reach out to me if you know me or go on over to our website, wearerival.com, and you can apply from there. This is free but we do want to make sure that we're adding people that are really interested and can really add value. That's it. On to the episode. I think the hardest part on a day-in-day job is, 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 you know, is when you build your teams, making sure that they have enough rope to, to, to build it their way, you know, and, and allow them to kind of do what you got to do when you were in that job. But equally, at the same time, you have to take all the experience that you've learned and built from and help shape the, the kind of the future of these brands. So it's, I mean, I, I, I have an amazing job. I'm really, you know, I love the job. I love the challenge, but I, what I love about it is that I'm lucky enough to have taken all the experience of the past and apply it to my day to day. Um, and I think that's the important thing. You know, you take the opportunity to help shape the strategy, you know, guide where the vision is and, and work with your, your businesses around the world to kind of say, Hey, this is where we want to go with our portfolio and our brands. Um, so it's, it's a busy job. I'm Eric Fulweiler, and this is Scratch, bringing you marketing lessons from the leading brands and brains, rewriting the rulebook from scratch for the world of today. Hey, everyone. My guest today, Mark Kirkham, the CMO of PepsiCo International Beverages. He's responsible for the creative innovation and marketing strategy across brands such as Pepsi, 7up, Mirinda, Rockstar Energy, Mountain Dew, Gatorade, Aquafina, and Bubbly. Mark has spent 12 years at PepsiCo, leading a variety of different marketing functions. And prior to that, he was at Procter & Gamble, where he managed and innovated the Duracell brand. In today's episode, we're talking about what it takes to build and maintain an iconic brand in an incredibly competitive and crowded environment with a particular focus on choosing the right channels, mediums, and cultural moments to drive relevancy. So obviously, you know, Mark and some of these brands, big global um, brands and businesses already, but I really think, and Mark touches on this in terms of some challengers within the category and challengers within the PepsiCo portfolio, a lot of these principles and a lot of the frameworks and just mindset that he talks to, I really think is relevant to anyone at any stage and actually within any category as well. The focus on understanding your customer and the culture around them and really making sure that you have that relevance and authenticity as a brand before you and in every way that you go to market. So I really think there's something for everyone in this conversation. It's a bit of a long one, but you know there's so much good stuff in here. So I really think you're gonna enjoy it. Without further ado, Please enjoy my conversation with Mark Kirkham of PepsiCo. 
Hey, Mark, how you doing? Good, man. How are you? Good to see you. I am good. It's really good to have you on the show. It's really good to see you again. Obviously, we spent a little bit of time together when I was at Vayner, which was a while ago, but it's great to reconnect, and I'm really looking forward to digging into the conversation that we have today. Very good. Uh, excited as well. So great to see you and uh, happy to chat. Awesome. And for the people that are listening and not watching, Mark is sitting in front of a a pretty epic, is that a mural, a picture of like Messi rising from... No, it's actually, it's a, a mural of, um, it's in one of our conference rooms here. It's uh, an ad we created, God, it's got to be eight years ago, nine years ago. It's called Don't Go Down. And it was basically the story of how, you know, through all of his trials and tribulations on the pitch, you know, you can't get Leo down. And clearly, you know, last fall he proved to the world, um, who in my opinion is the GOAT, but uh, I think that debate will always live on. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's uh it's nice to work on brands where you can have these amazing murals uh, to to celebrate the work that you, you and the team have done. So uh, I unfortunately didn't work on this one, but the team who did did an awesome job. So love it. All right. Well, we'll see if we can find a link to the ad to include in the show notes. And yeah, I know we're going to get into it, but I mean, it must be it must be amazing. But also, um, I'm I'm sure there's just a lot to unpack working in a business and at a brand that has this scale and has these ambassadors and assets that you can pull from. Because um, of course, there's a lot to work with, but also a lot of pressure on just, you know, you know, these brands that you're overseeing, but we will get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. So first question that we ask every guest has a bit of an icebreaker. What is one challenger brand that you're passionate about right now? And it can't be one of your own. It's a, it's a tough question, but I thought about it and uh, I'm actually going to give uh, some props to a very good friend of mine, Kristen Patrick and the team at Claire's. Um, look, I'm a dad of two girls. And when they were younger, I literally would do everything I could to run past those stores because it was going to cost me like 50 bucks, 100 bucks on their buy two, get one free, and you buy 10 and get 20. And and, and it was it was a brand that um, just felt like, a, you know, a, a retail shop that, you know, was a mall anchor. Everyone had one, didn't have a lot of distinctiveness other than his promotions. And what Kristen and the team have done is awesome. They've, they've disrupted the retail environment through culture. You know, they've leveraged um, you know, gaming and Roblox to build experiences and retail environments. They're doing influencer work with like six-year-old influencers, you know, it's, and, and they've reframed what this brand means in a cultural context, which if you asked me, would that even be possible five years ago? I'd say absolutely not. Um, but it, it took, it took a little bit of, uh, courage, um, some really smart people, um, and it took being willing to take some risks. And uh, yeah, I, I really love what they're doing and they're being recognized for it. So hats off to KP and the team. We'll have to check that out. I think it's always, you know, it's it's fascinating watching challenger brands that are startups, that are disruptors, that are new to a category. But when you can take an incumbent, particularly one that's maybe fallen off a little bit, doesn't have the credibility and equity there, and you actually have to build from a negative to do that. One of, one of the brands that we love to talk about and is kind of a running joke within our um, CMO WhatsApp community is Crocs. And I don't know if you've been watching what they've been doing, but a very similar thing, you know, was like hot 20 years ago was very not and was kind of a joke for a while, to be honest, apart from like specific circles, like chefs and things like that. Um, but through understanding what are the drivers of culture and doing interesting, creative, sometimes really weird collaborations, um, with, 
you know, those, those centers of culture, those influencers, sure. But the people that are really crafting culture for the audience that crafts culture, um, you know, they've been able to actually make stage a comeback now and, uh, they're becoming cool again. At least I think so. No, I, I, I hear you. And, and yes, I see a lot of chefs and back of the house people wearing Crocs, but actually, you know, it's that, it's that same, it's so easy for brands to be pigeonholed based on their legacy and their, their history. It almost anchors them. Um, and I, I agree with you it, it, to be a challenger when you got a lot of baggage, uh, is, is a heck of a lot harder. You know, when you're a challenger and you're just a number two, still in the same relative context, it's a different game. Uh, we deal with that across some of our brands, but, but yeah, I think, I think, um, I think what Claire's doing, what Croc's doing, you know, what a lot of startups do, and it's, it's almost in their DNA. They have to do it. Uh, it's, it's, it's really interesting. It's really challenging. And as a marketer, you, you kind of enjoy watching their work. Because uh, it's it, it it sometimes it challenges us um, to to push ourselves a little bit further, especially those of us who've grown up in big CPG land. So yeah, fascinating. You know, we talk about these principles of building a successful challenger brand, and authenticity is a big one. And I think oftentimes, you know, it all starts with relevance. So I know that's something that we're going to talk about today when it comes to how do you build an iconic brand. It has to start with relevance. But a lot of people, particularly challengers, then skip to differentiation. How do we shake things up? How do we kind of be the contrarian? How do we do things differently? But actually the step in the middle that's so important is authenticity. If you start coming out for something that you can't back up, that you can't actually deliver, whether it's through the brand or the product experience, that disconnect, particularly today's modern consumer, you know, that's a massive risk and vulnerability for your business. So that authenticity piece, I think, I think you touched on it. Um, and it's really important, particularly when you're thinking about how challenger brands can scale to become successful within a category. Yeah, no, I think, look, I, I think it all comes down to relevance. Um, and, and relevance is, is very much tied to authenticity. Um, and being relevant, particularly amongst younger consumers, Gen Z, alphas, whatever you want to call um, my kids, um, I think you really need to step back and say, well, what is it about your brand, your category, your benefit? that is relevant in their lives today. And it might be incredibly different from what was relevant in your own life or in the category context that, that other generations grew up in. Um, and, and relevance in this context, particularly with younger consumers today, a lot of it is anchored in authenticity. Uh, and authenticity then gets anchored in purpose. And purpose then gets anchored in broader people and planet, you know, Terry challenges and issues that we all face. And, and so to me, how do you navigate that starts with what is your purpose? You know, what is your purpose as a product, as a category, as a brand? And, and ensuring that you, you, you stay rooted in who you are, but authentically drive relevance, drive relationships, create new connections with new consumers um, through your brand, sometimes in different ways. Now, as a marketer, it could be through a channel. Uh, as, as, as someone who makes drinks, it could be through product innovation. Um, and as a brand, it could be how we evolve our narrative. You know, if you think about Gatorade, for example, you know, in many parts of the world, sports drinks and growing up with sports drinks, the way I did, the way you did, or others, you know, it was, if I showed up at the pitch and didn't have my Gatorade, it's like, I, I didn't bring my boots. You know, I, I was like, I wasn't prepared to play, but if you go to other parts of the world where you didn't grow up with that. That context isn't there. So how do you make a brand that has this stature and, and all of this goodness from its history relevant? So you have to pivot. You have to establish a different 
narrative for those consumers. And, and a lot of it is you, you're almost starting from scratch. And I think that's one of the beauties of as we've expanded the Gatorade business around the world, you know, we were literally building a brand, in some cases, a category differently. You know, some parts of the world were established, like Latin America, Asia, it's a brand new space for, for many of the brands, even Europe, where sports drinks really aren't a big thing. You know, we have to think about how do we establish the category differently? And how do we bring relevance of the sports drink category or the soft drink category or new formats like soda stream into their mindset? And so what do they care about? What does your brand deliver that's unique and different? And, and I think that's where you get into this debate between distinction and relevance. It is possible to do both, but the moment you focus on distinction and it's not relevant to who you are, you then are inauthentic. And that, to me, is is a little bit of the balancing act. And, and I think that's where some brands fall down. Um, and I think it's as a constant challenge you have to ask yourself is how to become more relevant to these consumers, how to ensure that my products and my brand are relevant, and how do I do it in an authentic way? And if you can check the box on all those, then I think you're actually in a really good place. But the moment you steer a little bit off course, you risk being inauthentic and therefore potentially never being relevant. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing, and it falls a lot of the cases in, in things like greenwashing and, and it's caused green hushing, right? Of, of brands who then stop talking about the good things they're doing because they're worried. Um, I think that's, that's going to be a challenge, but it is, it is kind of, it is ultimately about being relevant to today's consumer and to new consumers as you look to grow categories. The way that I think about it and the way that we depict it, like literally thinking of a slide that we have in, you know, for the consulting and brand strategy work that we do, that's a pyramid. And at the bottom of that pyramid, it's five principles, but the bottom is relevance. And so if, it, you know, the, I think the metaphor is apt. If the foundation is not there, the rest of it crumbles. So there are other pieces that you need to be a successful challenger brand, but relevance absolutely needs to be there. So I think that's a great segue to get into the meat of the conversation, talking about what it means to be an iconic brand. But before we do, I want to take a quick little detour because I'm just very curious. CMO of PepsiCo International Beverages, what does a day in the life look like? I'm sure there's no two days that are the same, but such a broad remit, so many brands under your portfolio. You know, what, do you, what, what are you typically doing day in and day out and week in and week out? I like to say I'm doing a lot of all the jobs I've done over the last 12 or 13 years at PepsiCo. And I've been, I've been really lucky to have had the chance to work pretty much across every brand in our beverage portfolio. Um, and now as the CMO for International, I get to look at each of those brands with a whole different perspective. Um, you know, when you're owning a brand, operating a brand, you get really into the details. And then when, when you get to, you know, my point, my career, I get to look at, well, what role are they all playing? You know, all the things that I did, whether it was when I was running Global Pepsi or Gatorade and Energy or, or working on Mountain Dew 10, 15 years ago in, in really scaling it into new markets, um, you know, I, I, my job was different. But actually, if I look at it today, the sum of those experiences is what has created who I am today as a marketer, who I am as a CMO for International, and actually how I can relate to the challenges and opportunities of the business. So... I think the hardest part on a day in day job is, 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 you know, is when you build your teams, making sure that they have enough rope to, to, to build it their way, you know, and, and allow them to kind of do what you got to do when you were in that job. But equally, at the same time, you have to take all the experience that you've learned and built from and help shape the, the, the kind of the future 
of these brands. So it's, I mean, I, I, I have an amazing job. I'm really, you know, I love the job. I love the challenge. But I, what I love about it is that I'm lucky enough to have taken all the experience of the past and apply it to my day-to-day. Um, and I think that's the important thing. You know, you take the opportunity to help shape the strategy, you know, guide where the vision is and, and work with your, your businesses around the world to kind of say, hey, this is where we want to go with our portfolio and our brands. Um, so it's, it's a busy job. You know, and it's, it's, it's not easy sometimes, but, but if you build from your past experiences and you build this empowering trust amongst your teams, and you also embrace the fact that, you know, you have global brands that have to drive to the conversation earlier about relevance, you know, local relevance, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating challenge. It's not easy. Um, but it's a really, really exciting place to be. And, uh, you know, when I, 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 I don't you know when I wake up in the morning, I know I got a lot to do. But I'm excited to do it every day. It's all anyone can hope for, right? So we had our prep call a couple weeks back and we landed on and you suggested this topic of how to build an iconic brand. And I love it because we actually haven't talked about it before, but it is a lot of what everybody is striving towards. If you're a Pepsi, if you're a liquid death, if you're a startup that's just launching next month. And one of the things that we talked about within that conversation is I could ask you, how do you define an iconic brand? We could look up how the marketing community defines an iconic brand. You could list iconic brands, but actually to our conversation about relevance, the thing that matters most is understanding what an iconic brand means to your consumer. So why don't we start there? How do you, for PepsiCo beverages, how do you get that understanding, that insight into the consumers you're trying to reach of what what you need to do to be relevant to them in order to have a chance to build an iconic brand in their world? It's a, it's a great question. And honestly, there's, there's probably no one answer, but I'll give you a perspective of how I look at it, how I believe we look at it at PepsiCo. Um, I think the first thing is what defines an iconic brand today, especially amongst younger consumers, is different than what defines iconic in the past. It doesn't mean that the brand's not iconic. It just means, to your point, in the eyes of that consumer and how they're influenced by different mediums, culture, um, society, the challenges that we face in the world, those views define what brands they put on what pedestals. You know, if, if you look at the actual definition of the word iconic, it goes back to how people would essentially define an icon. It was a visual representation of icon, which actually goes all the way back to defining how a statue looked, right? So... So if you put it on that perspective, an icon is how the consumer sees it. Now, I'm lucky and I truly believe, you know, many of our brands are truly iconic. But if we want them to stay iconic, we need to evolve how we shape that vision, how we bring that image to life to the consumer. And a lot of that comes down to the evolution of marketing, you know, how we use channels differently how we um, use data differently, how we embrace consumer trends and some of the headwinds we face and we take them on in a responsible way, how we build purpose that authentically connects to these new consumers and puts them into the conversation versus in the old days that we just told them what we were about. You know, I, I, it, it sounds so like, simple one-on-one kind of marketing, you know, how, how you need to, you know, establish a connection with a consumer, but I, it's so much more fundamentally different 
to say what defines an icon in the past versus the icons of today. You know, the icons of today may not have been an icon two years ago versus 20 years ago, that icon that you would identify, whether it's an actor, a brand, or, or anything within an industry has probably been doing it the same way for 20 or 30 years. So I think that's the big learning is to define an icon today or to remain relevant and therefore iconic, we need to adapt. So for us as brands, it's how we communicate to consumers, how we leverage data, how we evolve our products, how we really build authentic, purposeful brands and experiences. That is what's going to essentially establish us as an icon in the eyes of these new consumers. So I don't think we can have a conversation about building modern day iconic brands without talking about brand purpose. And you brought this up you know, earlier, and there's all the stats, all the research out there about how purpose is a key driver for today's consumer and a big factor in shifting perception and purchase behavior in all categories. But I think there's a lot that's been going on within the beverage category for sure. How does purpose fit into your strategy? I know there's a couple initiatives that you've launched and are a part of at PepsiCo, but if we take a step back and everybody's thinking about brand purpose, how are you approaching that in your role and for the PepsiCo beverages portfolio? No, I, I think you said it right. I mean, it, it is essential to any brand today to at least know and establish what its purpose is. I think the challenge is a purpose needs to link to something bigger when you're in a big corporate environment or within, within your category. Um, I think some of the biggest mistakes that have been made in our industry are where people did purpose for purpose sake, where all the right intent, but perhaps the wrong execution. And there's examples across categories and brands. And and there's a lot of learning to be had as marketers in that space. For us, you know, and for me as as both a marketer, but but as as part of PepsiCo, it has to start. Well, what does the company stand for? You know, what is the purpose of PepsiCo? And we have this uh, amazing platform. And I say this because it's not just a, a corporate platform for communication. It's actually it stands for who we are. It's how we're measured. It's it's in our it's in our metrics. It's called PepsiCo Positive. And PepsiCo Positive, you know, in a in a company like ours that's you know eighty billion plus with you know uh, three hundred thousand plus employees, you can't just have a corporate mission statement without embedding that into how you operate, and therefore how your brands reflect both the corporate mission and vision, which for us is anchored in PepsiCo Positive, to what your brand stands for and what impact you are going to have as a brand on kind of the broader good, right? So. So if I give you an example, it, when we look at PepsiCo Positive, we look at um, the value chain, you know, in terms of how we operate. And that involves everything from human and people sustainability. You look at the positive choices, which is very much about portfolio. And, and ultimately, you, you look at the positive impact that you as a company make. And that from everything from your own employees to your investors to your customers alike. And, and for us, we've made tons of uh, commitments. And the important thing is very open and transparent commitments of we as a company are going to do. And what's important is that you translate those commitments into what our brands are doing and ultimately what I'm doing in my job. And therefore, choosing which role my brands can play. You know, clearly a brand like Pepsi, which is a, a large global brand, you know, we have to address some of the challenges in plastic and some of the challenges in sugars. And what makes me proud of what we do is you know, we, we, we do it very authentically in terms of how we build our non-sugar business and how we communicate the benefits of, of actually reuse and recycle and ultimately creating a world where plastic isn't waste. 
I mean, the ultimate goal is, is plastic is actually a good thing. Waste is the bad thing. So what role do I have to play as a brand to actually encourage people to reuse and recycle and, and use new formats? Um, and then also in our portfolios, we evolve it. How am I reducing sugar? How am I, you know, having a more positive effect on the overall environment through some of the commitments we make and some of the actions we're taking on reducing greenhouse gas? And then that plays all the way out, not just from a corporate standpoint, of how we work with partners. You know, we have an initiative with UEFA, for example, which is all about getting to zero waste at their events and in partnering with them and actually working together as a partner of a mass sporting platform, but also having a, having a purpose element to it that's truly authentic, where they as an event organizer and we as a supplier and we as a brand builder can actually make an impact. Um, and, and so you have to take everything from a corporate vision mission all the way down to the goals and objectives that we as employees have and actually makes us feel good about being part of this company. And then extending that into the partnerships and the collaborations we make. And all of that you have to do in a very focused way. And, and back to the original comment is that I think that's one of the, the, the key points that we're on in the journey, which is how do we make it relevant for Pepsi to talk about the things that matter for the consumers of soft drinks? Obviously, focusing on issues like plastics and sugar. You know, for, for a brand like Lay's, how do we look at the impact of farming? You know, for a brand like SodaStream, SodaStream in itself is fundamentally a brand that has always been focused on reducing plastic waste. And how do we bring new experiences to consumers? And then ultimately, you look at Gatorade. Gatorade has a people element where we're really focusing on sport and, 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 and healthy lifestyle and, and grassroots activity. But we've turned that into really authentic stories around how we're elevating women's sport, how we're actually taking... Um, uh, you know, we use, I mean, the Gatorade bottle you see behind me, that's, that's one of the, that's been around forever. You know, we were one of the first beyond the bottle products where you were using powders and now we have tablets. And so how do you evolve your portfolio in the right context so that it can truly bring those visions to life? So, I mean, in, I think the simple way to say it is that purpose needs to have purpose. You know, you need to have a clear tie back to what you're doing as a company and an authentic role for your brand. And, and for us, that's about positive choices and ultimately about positive brands. I really like that quote, that soundbite of purpose needs to have purpose. I've heard something similar said in different ways, but I really like how that's packaged up. The thing, you touched on something quickly at the end that I just want to draw out because it's been on my mind. We're launching this new content series that's challenger brand breakdowns. So we're looking at a bunch of different challenger brands and kind of looking at what they've done differently. And one of the things that... I've kind of honed in on with a few of them, including Crocs actually, and also um, Olipop in your category as well, is that a lot of what they're doing with the marketing function is helping to drive product innovation as well. So the thing with Crocs is not just these collaborations that they're doing and the communication that they're bringing to market, it's also how they've evolved the product and innovated the product and the role that marketing has within that. So just what you were saying about the product innovation around Gatorade, and I'm sure across the rest of the portfolio, I just wanted to call that out because I think that's an important thing to think about marketing as an innovation function because product is a big part of what is going to make the brand iconic as well as marketing, of course. Yeah, and, and when you say product, and, and I would take the innovation broader, it's, it's product, it's package, it's experience, right? So if you look at beverages, product, it's how do you, you know, use our pet? How do you reduce sugar? How do you, you know, reduce the landfill waste that happens in, in, you know, all over the world? And it's a challenge we, we must address. 
you know, on packaging, it's obviously tied to the same, but what new forms, you know, what new, um, what is new, the new ways to recycle and working with the industries to help actually drive recycling. Um, and then you talk about experience you know, we do this, uh, project on Lays called Lays Replay. Um, and we actually use recycled crisp bags to actually lay the foundation for football pitches, which we build in, you know, underserved communities to help drive sport. And then you bring Gatorade along and you're actually helping them kind of, you know, hydrate and also perform and fuel athletic achievement. You know, you're doing all these things in the context of a very purposeful experience. And we're doing it in especially, you know, last year we tied it to the UCL women's final in, in Turin in a neighborhood that was completely underdeveloped. And we did it for an all girls tournament, which had never happened in Italy and all girls, 600 girls from around Italy playing in the tournament, ultimately going to Paris to see the men's final and seeing the women's final in turn. We did that as a brand and we brought together the product, the package, the experience. And, and, and if you, if you think about the impact that they can have, and for some of these, for some of these athletes, this was the first time they even experienced some of these things, it can actually create lifelong relationships. And that can't go unseen. You know, you talked earlier about relevance. All of a sudden, we've it may only be six hundred, but you start to multiply that, and you also think about the amplification of what you're doing across your product, your package, and your experience. Um, I think you really can authentically deliver on purpose. So, so on that, because that actually flows nicely into the next chapter of our conversation, which is about well, how do you actually become iconic? Once you have that understanding of what iconic means to your audience, which to your point is constantly evolving. So even if you have it or think you have it at one point in time, you need to be able to evolve as your category and the culture around your consumer does. But once you have that story, how do you decide how, where, when to bring that to market? So you mentioned some of these partnerships. I'm sure there's a bunch of different channels that you're in as, as PepsiCo. How do you make those decisions? I don't know if there's like a couple principles or frameworks that you use at a higher level that help to guide those decisions. Yeah, no. So we have, um, we, we're in the process of kind of finalizing and rolling out a framework, which at, at its principle gets to the, some of the points I was making earlier, which is really determining what are the territories that you can really have an impact, whether it's D and I or community or plastics or climate or regenerative farming, making sure that you've identified, you know, what is, I, I think the risk all marketers have is they try to do everything. And we all know if you try to do everything, you typically don't do anything really that well. So if you can actually identify where your brand and your product has the biggest challenge and opportunity to have an impact, that's where you should stay focused. Then you have to understand in a company like ours, what is the role that the brand plays? You know, are we really going to be the drivers of change because it's everything the brand stands for? Are we going to help influence change? Um, and, and, and what, what are the commitments that we're willing to make and what is the culture that we make in doing that? You know, that, that ultimately helps simplify in my mind, but also prioritize how you go about it. And then, you know, you ask the question about how do you know when you're iconic? Well, I mean, it's like saying, you know, going viral, there's no such thing as going viral. There used to be a time when things were viral in today's world. It's, it's actually, when is an idea so good that people share it? and people amplify it. And ultimately, what defines whether you're iconic enough, if people say this brand has established a whole new level of, you know, understanding, authenticity, iconicity, um, and relevance to me, that I would put it at the top of the list or the top shelf or the top of the pyramid 
And and I think that to me is, you know, if you, you have to make choices on what are the things you need your brand to be known for. And as a marketer, then you got to choose how are the channels and the activities and the traditional things that we do as marketers, how are they going to get me there? You know, doing the same old stuff will not get you there. The traditional everyday ways of, particularly in CPG type marketing, if it's all you do, I, I, I don't believe you're going to be iconic in the eyes of consumers of the future. But if you adapt and authentically bring your brand through the right channels, the right experiences, and also your portfolio being as relevant, then I think, yeah, you're going to continue to be, in the case of our brands, iconic. But actually, you're going to establish an even new sense of what it means to be iconic. And you're going to allow that to carry into the next generation and hopefully the new generation after that. Um, and, and I think, look, as a dad of you know, two teenage girls, you know, it's important for me to understand what brands they care about, what brands that they consider iconic, and what are the attributes and how are they connecting with my kids so that I make sure that my brands are relevantly and authentically doing the same. So, so I think it's a long way to get to the answer to your question, but I think there's no one answer. But I do think you got to take these steps. Prioritize, focus on where you can really have impact, and then do the things that in today's world amongst that consumer is going to allow them to put you at the pedestal and ultimately be you as an iconic brand. And do you have any type of framework or approach that you take to splitting your focus or investment into some things that you know are going to work and some things that are maybe more innovative? Because I think, you know, one of the risks of any business, to be honest, but particularly an incumbent, is that you're only focused on, okay, I know this is going to work, therefore I'm going to invest in this channel. Do you have like a 70-20-10 framework or some way that you think about innovation when it comes to bringing these brands to market? Yeah, I, I think frameworks like 70-20-10 are a good example of in a simple way, how do you need to prioritize? And 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 whether it's exactly a 70-20-10 or some other model or you know, um, you know, the Google and Microsoft models about allowing people to do their pet projects, there is an element of you have to have intent and you have to have prioritized this concept of taking some risks, experimenting, doing things a little bit differently. And I think it's different for every brand. I think the principle of 70-20-10 when you average things out is probably right, but actually some brands have to be 10-20-70, you know, in the sense of where they focus their investment. You know, the example I gave earlier about challenger brands like Claire's, if Claire's only does 70-20-10 and only puts 10% of their focus on engaging new consumers in new ways, they're not going to be as relevant. They had to probably swing the needle a lot further. Crocs probably had to swing it a lot further. Um, when you're in a bigger brand in a more traditional category or you're a leading position in the category, yeah, you might have to only carve out a smaller percentage. But what's the most important is that you understand what your role is as a brand and how you are going to make a difference in that 10 or that 20, or in some cases that 70. So um, we don't have a set number. I think that number gets defined on what is your brand role and ultimately, what is the business and, and consumer impact you want to have with what you're doing? Um, and I think if you establish that, you have clear focus on key areas of impact that you want to make, then yeah, then you can invest accordingly. Um, and for brands that are more focused on 
purpose, which is the core of what they do and what their product is and how they stand for, it's going to be, you know, it could be the seventh of, of their investment. Where other brands who have much more scale and have a, a broader story to tell, it might be less. Um, it might be the 20 or in some cases, the 10. And that applies to how you spend media, to how you develop innovation, to the type of partnerships you develop. So I'd be curious, is there an example within your portfolio that you can point to as a brand that you are right now building to become iconic? Because of course, there's the Pepsi, there's the Gatorade, there's these global iconic brands that I'm sure you're continuing to evolve and need to stay on top of being iconic. But is there an example that you can speak to that, it, that is actually like a work in progress right now where you're trying to accomplish this and apply these learnings and perspectives? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a great little brand that most people don't know that's been around 20 years, but it's one of the fastest brands in our port, fastest growing brands in our portfolio. It's called Sting. Um, it's an energy drink that literally started in, in Vietnam 20 years ago, has been very successful in India and Pakistan and Egypt. But what's amazing about this brand, it's it's not your traditional energy drink. It's a, it's it's, a, it's an energy drink that is established in in in, in many cases in Vietnam, one of the highest penetrated categories you know, in the world. It's a 48% penetration of energy drinks in, uh, in Vietnam. But it carved out a really unique proposition, both in terms of the brand expression. It literally had one skew, one flavor, and it just kept growing. What I love about what we've done over the past few years, and I have to give all the credit to the local teams who have really just embraced this brand and made it their own, is the cultural relevance and the very specific channel and call it market development work that they do to launch this brand, um, getting the right price point. You know, they've done great work in reducing sugar and kind of making this product even better for you. And, and even though it's an energy drink, it's, it, you know, you're coming into the market with a different proposition than it was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, they're bringing really local storytelling tied to local culture. They're taking, you know, Energy is one of the most important needs, and we saw this particularly over the, uh, the pandemic, that any consumer has. But how you deliver energy and the cultural context of how you deliver energy and you know, some of the work the team in India has done, for example, tying it back to Indian culture and, and the spirit of energy and, and the kind of unique ties to Indian culture and Bollywood and movies and, and just really making it their own, I think that will allow Sting which, you know, is literally one of our fastest growing brands in our entire portfolio of the world, um, to be an iconic brand in the future. It's already an icon in the eyes of certain markets. I mean, it's, it's, it's the leading beverage with, um, in, uh, in Cambodia, for example, of all beverages, our portfolio and others. Um, and it's one of the fastest growing in some other parts of the world. And I think the other thing that's important is a lot of these things happen outside the U.S., and I think that's another shift that we've seen in our careers is like some of the best innovations and ideas are coming from different markets around the world. And they're, they're, they're taking this ability to scale global and regional brands, but do it in a locally relevant way. And ultimately, as, as someone in my role, whose job is, hey, I'm responsible for brands internationally, I have to find that balance. And I think that's the important thing. How do you drive global scale and local relevance? And to be iconic for some of these local brands is, hey, I got to build this really cool local expression, this local idea. And then my job is, how do I grow that? How do we expand that? Um, and so that's, to me, what, um, what makes these kind of 
I'd say fledgling or younger iconic brands, really exciting to watch grow and to nurture. And also it's a great learning for the big iconic brands like the Pepsis and the Gatorades, because then we can say, well, how, how do we just continue to evolve what we're doing and look to the smaller brands and look to other categories to inspire us? There's a whole second episode we're going to have to do at some point about how you drive, you know, product and also brand innovation within incumbent within incumbent organizations and whether you start your own thing or you acquire and how you take learnings from these challenges and bring them into the organization. I'm so fascinated by that. But of course, we don't have time today. I have one curveball question for you before we go to the lightning rounds. I'd be curious, a lot of what we've talked about, you know, you sitting in your seat at PepsiCo, you have a lot of resources to draw on to be able to do this. Team, agency, budget, scale of insights around the world, et cetera. If you left tomorrow and went to start Schmepsi or Schmaterade, something from scratch in this category, the, you know, strategic and, and pr- the strategic um, pillars and principles that we've talked about today, first 30 days in that new role, tactically, what do you do to try to go get that understanding of the audience and then figure out how you start building a new iconic brand from scratch? Here's the crazy part. This is where the Kotlers of the world got it right. You start with the simple basics. I don't care if you're a startup. If you don't start with understanding your consumer and your customer and your category or your context, you're never going to be successful. You could get lucky. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of brands who just come up with a unique you know, utility or come up with a unique idea. But actually, if I were to start a company today, and I wanted to go into my category or go into a new space, I would absolutely focus on the customer and the consumer first. I wouldn't even probably focus on the competitive set. Because if you focus on the customer, you know, your retailers and otherwise, and then the channels that they're shopping in, and then you figure out the consumer needs that are either not or are being met, or you can do it differently, or you can do it cheaper, whatever the example is, you have to do that right away. Um, and, and, and then I think the other thing is when you're building a company or starting a company or joining a new company, there's a C that's not in, you know, the four C's, which is culture. And I would say that's the fifth C, like they're, they're the fifth beetle, you know, they're, they're understanding the culture of which your consumer lives in. So that's how you engage with them. And, and I would say equally important, the culture of the company you're building and the brands that you want to be associated with. That is probably just as important. It might not be the first thing, but as you're understanding your consumer, your customer, your category, your competitors, all the kind of traditional C's, ask yourself, what kind of culture am I building? And what type of culture am I penetrating? What type of culture do I want to be part of from a consumer standpoint? Because honestly, if you look at the big iconic brands in the world, they always had a moment in culture that helped take them to the brands they are today. You know, whether it's Michael Jackson for Pepsi or, you know, breaking ground with, with Apple uh, or IBM throwing hammers through screens, you know, there are so many examples throughout history where those cultural moments actually are helped with define them. So I think you have to identify that pretty early in your, in your journey, because if you don't do that, I think you're going to struggle. Up for a lightning round before we let you go? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. What's the biggest win you've had recently? Oh, uh, biggest win and one I'm super proud of is a campaign we did last Q4 called Pepsi Nutmeg. 
Um, and three reasons it's the biggest win. One, we went back to what we're really good at and, and back to the conversation, connected with culture. You know, we went back to what Pepsi, when Pepsi was at its best, doing football ads, we brought the stars, we brought the relevance, we bought the, 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 the epicness of it. But actually, one of the things I'm most proud of it is actually we integrated it in today's world. You know, we had Fabrizio Romano actually helping us tell our story. We bought back retro kits and sold them out in less than two minutes. We had Luva, who you may not know is probably the biggest thing in Brazil, way above even the followings of Neymar and others. Um, we had actually built-in Easter eggs and QR codes that allow you to buy stuff in the ad. Um, we, we may have created a player card that slightly looked like a certain game and put that in and created uh, you know, <laughs> some other things in there. We had fun. We used an EA track um, from Fatboy Slim, which is one of the top trending FIFA tracks, even though we have no official relationship with FIFA, just to be clear. And we did it at a time that there happened to be some really big football match happening, and we did it in our way. And I'm really proud of the work the team did, and, and we've been recognized for it, and the team deserves a hell of a lot of credit for the great work they did on Nutmeg. What's the biggest struggle you're dealing with currently? Um, I think the biggest struggle is, is and it's, it sounds a little bit uh, cliche, but it's, it's finding enough time to prioritize the right things. You know, it's, it's that traditional, if I had more time, I would have written you a shorter letter. Um, Mark Twain quote, I, I think the challenge in marketing today is there's just so much to do. And it's not that you can't do lots of different things. It's finding the time to sit back and think and say, hey, I want to prioritize only these few things. Sometimes it's more about what you don't do than what you do. You know, that's one of the, you know, we, we, we like to focus on the three big rocks principle. You know, focus on just three big rocks because there's probably 40, but focus on three. Um, so I think there's this, you know, I think the challenge we all face is there's so much going on in our worlds, so much going on in our categories, taking the time to just sit back and prioritize. I think we're getting better. And I'd like to say you create a culture that embraces that. Um, but I think going through the pandemic, all the challenges that we've all gone through over the past couple of years um, has made it hard to kind of separate that time just to, to think. So you always got to keep pushing. that. What's the best marketing resource you've found recently? Oh, uh, external resource um, or internal or both? Let's go external so it's something other people can access. Um, God, I think I think external resource. I, I won't I won't call out one specific resource, but I, I I do think there's there's just the different types of I'll call it chat groups or communities out there on different platforms. You can use Discord for gaming. You can use even just the sports community. I mean, sometimes just looking at Fabrizio Romano's post and the comments and, and the conversations that happen around one little thing he says or, or, or an athlete or heck, even a politician. Um, I think one of the richest spaces is actually going in and just looking at those conversations because those are real conversations. Those are conversations in real time. And they live in native environments in some cases and sometimes very tightly knit environments like a Discord gaming chat or, you know, a, a Twitch chat or, or even a Twitter, you know, uh, thread. But I think it's not just about is it trending or is whatever that original comment that's been put out there. It's actually the conversation about that. And I do think we don't spend enough time looking at those conversations because that's the underlying reality of any topic. Um, 
and, and I think it's just a broader area that you need to explore. I mean, and you need to explore it through different tools. You need to explore it through insights. Um, but as, as a marketer, I, you know, I think we used to all be like, oh, we got so many likes or, you know, we trended on Twitter. Trending on Twitter is only good as if the conversation about that tweet is positive, right? So, so I do think it's, it's about how do you understand, how do you decompose, how do you look into those underlying trends? What's the biggest lesson you've learned in your career so far? Ah, uh, God. Um, I don't know if we have enough time. There's so many. I think uh, the first one is don't be afraid to make mistakes. Um, like, and I know it sounds, again, cliche, but we learn more from failure than we do from success. And, 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 and there is this fear of failing that's been around forever. And I think it comes, it's different per generation, but it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. And as long as the type of mistake was not one that frankly, you should have known better not to have in the first place. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, making time to, to look at the outside world more. You know, I, I do think we get so caught up in what happens in our day to day, both on our brands and our companies, that we need to take the time to spend more time with consumers, spend more time with retailers, spend more time with the industry and learn what they're talking about. The most interesting thing is there's a lot more similarities and differences, but every once in a while you get that unique nugget, that unique example or that unique insight that fundamentally will change what you do back at home. So I mean, I just get out there and really experience um, your trade, your craft, because that's important. Last one. To sum it all up, which I know will be hard, what is one thing that people should do differently after listening to this episode? Oh, again, another tough one. But I, 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 think, I think you should just ask yourself if you are relevant to your consumer. Love that. You know, I, 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 it, it is that simple. Are you relevant? And what are you doing to be relevant? Because that will ultimately define whether you're iconic. I'm going to be asking myself that about Rival this weekend. All right, Mark, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic conversation. I've personally learned a lot. I'm sure that our listeners have too. If people want to connect with you, find out more about what you're doing, I know you're active on LinkedIn. Is that the best place to send folks or is there anywhere else? Yeah, feel free to reach out. Um, and uh, I'd I love to hear interesting things from interesting people and, and learn. I mean, ultimately, we're all students of our craft. Love it. That's a perfect place to leave it. Mark, thanks so much. See you soon. Scratch is a production of Rival. We are a marketing innovation consultancy that helps businesses develop strategies and capabilities to grow faster. If you want to learn more about us, check out wearerival.com. If you want to connect with me, email me at eric at wearerival.com or find me on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe, share with anyone you think might enjoy it, and please do leave us a review. Thanks for listening and see you next week.